Well, hey, good evening, B4 Church. How are you? So good to see everybody tonight. And uh, those of you online, you know, it doesn't matter if you're in the room or you are out of the state. Uh, we believe no matter who you are or where you are, you can be a part of B4 Church. And, uh, and so we're just so grateful that everybody can be here. You know, several months ago, we were uh, having a conversation with our team. And we made the decision uh, to do a series of sermons that were rooted in the life of Abraham um, that would also reveal and help us unpack our mission as a church. And we really felt like this is a critical time. And I know I've said this every week of this series, but we really felt like this was a critical time for us to stop and to say, this is what the church is asked to do in the world. That we would stop and say, um, this is what we're asked to do in the world. That this is our calling in this world. So, um, so through this series, we've been revealing some really important things about our purpose and including some things that we're calling the four Bs. Um, and these four Bs are really just simple words that help clarify what the church is really called to do. What are we really asked to do as the church? Why does the church exist in the world? And why does this church exist in the world? And, and not only do they, um, do they help us understand that, but they also create a pathway for us that helps us understand what it looks like as individuals when we move through these aspects of what it means to be the church. What does it look like when we move through this process as an individual? And then what does it mean for us to look, move through this process as a group of individuals or as a group of people? Um, so last week I offered this diagram, and I just want to show it to you again and, and just help you understand it just for a moment, that essentially this, this whole process for us in our minds as we think about the church, as we see God moving throughout the scripture, it usually happens like this. There's a moment in which somebody or a group of people, they behold God. Uh, we've taken this word specifically from the words of John the Baptist when he sees Jesus on the shores of the Jordan River. And he sees him and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There is a moment when people behold God, when people see God for who he is, when they encounter him in all of his reality of who he is, and God changes them in that process. Um, we exist in, in many ways for that to be something that we encounter ourselves, that we as individuals in today's day and age, that we behold God, that we see Jesus for who he is and all that he is. Now, when that happens to a person and what we see in, in the scriptures is that then a person belongs to something. When you've seen God in this way, God also creates something for you to be a part of. And your identity, the things that you used to find your purpose in, the things you used to use to identify yourself, those things now shift and no longer are you a part of all of these other groups or these these other titles that you once held, but now your primary form of identity is belonging to this new humanity that God is creating. And there's new purpose in this, and there's new meaning in this, and there's new life in this. And so we move through this, and then as a result of that, when you're seeing God for who he is, and when you're a part of this thing that we call gospel community, then you will begin to experience transformation. And that's what we talked about last week, the reality that there is a Genesis 1 version of you. We talked about this last Sunday and last Thursday. There is a way that God sees you as he intended you to be as he created you and God wants you to become that person, for you to be that person and that's one of the reasons we exist is so that we would experience transformation, that this wouldn't just be an environment where it's like, hey, this is a nice club to belong to or this is a great place where we have an emotional experience and we encounter God, but that when we leave this experience or when we leave any time with each other as a result of being a part of this church, there's a transformation that takes place. There's a renewal that begins to take place in our lives as a result of this. But that's not where the story ends. It's not where the story ends as we looked at Abraham's life last week, and it's not where the story ends for us. And that leads us to this fourth B, this idea of going beyond. Um, and just let me say for a moment that we've rooted ourselves in Genesis chapter 12 for the entirety of this series, and I think it's appropriate that once again tonight we let that set the stage for what we're about to see. So 
Genesis chapter 12, we're introduced to the story of Abraham at the very end of chapter 11, and then we read this in verse 1 of Genesis 12. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So verse 4 says, Abram went as the Lord told him. So Abram, we see him actually have this same experience that we've just described here. He has this very real-time, real-life encounter with the real God, and that changes him, right? Of Of course he went as the Lord told him. He had just met the Lord. He just saw God for the first time in his life. And then God calls him to leave his country and his people so that he can form this new humanity, this new community. And God is going to bless him, but that blessing God makes very clear right up front, that is not just for you. I'm not doing this just so that you can look around at everybody and say, isn't it good to be God's favorite? That's not why I'm doing this. In fact, I can't stress the importance of this enough because this is a massive part of the story that God is writing in the scriptures. And yet throughout the centuries, what I'm about to have you look at and focus on has been the one aspect of the plot that God's people seem to lose sight of over and over and over again. So I just want to revisit this for just a moment so you catch this. In, in, in verse 3, the end of verse 3, he says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this blessing goes beyond you and your family. God says the reason I'm doing this, the reason I'm doing all of this, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm blessing you is because I want all the people on the earth to experience a blessing. And if you want to know more about that blessing, you need to listen to last week because we talked at length about what God's idea of blessing is. But this whole thing has implications for you and me. And and I want to talk about three things as it relates to this, as it relates to what we're hearing here. First, I want to talk about um, what this means. When God says he's going to bless all the people through Abraham, what does this actually mean? Then I want to talk about what gets lost in this. And then I want to talk about, at the very end, I want to talk about what this takes. So first, let's talk about what this means. What does this actually mean? Uh, Last week, if you were here, I introduced a Latin phrase that scholars and theologians have been using for years to describe what we see beginning to unfold in the life of Abraham. Uh, It's this term, missio dei, or the mission of God is how we would translate that into English. But it is this idea that God has a plan. That God looks at humanity and the thing that he's revealing in the story of Genesis is this plan that he has hopes for humankind. And those hopes, they are connected to the real life stories. And this is really important for us to get. They are connected to the real life stories all the way back to this individual named Abraham. But then equally they are connected all the way forward to the stories of you and I. That this missio dei that's being introduced, this mission of God that's being unpacked in the life of Abraham, it's not just all the way back then, it's all the way to today, it's to right now, it's to us, it's to our lives. That's the larger story of the Bible. God wants to restore and heal humanity in the world that humanity lives in. That's the larger story of the Bible. God wants to deliver shalom to the doorstep of every household. God wants to restore the relationship that he intended us to have with him. He wants to establish the kinds of relationships with each other that he created us to have. He wants to redeem the way that you and I move through our days, the way that we view our work and our entertainment and our play, all of these things. God wants to redeem those things. So so this means something about the church, and I want to make this really clear. That means this. Church 
is not the goal. Church is not the goal. The church isn't the end. The church is a means to an end. The church is an instrument in the hands of God that he uses to bring his plans to bear. That's something we really need to understand. The Missio Dei is calling us and sending us the church of Jesus to be like missionaries in our society and in our culture where we find ourselves. That's what this looks like to participate so that all of the people of the earth would be blessed. So the story starts with Abraham, but then it moves all the way through to today, and that's the story the Bible's telling us. Our presence in the world, this is what we get, our presence in the world should make the world a better place. Our presence in the world, we deliver human flourishing on every level. It begins with an individual meeting the person of Jesus, but then it expands like a ripple effect out from there. You encounter God through Jesus, but then you begin to make a difference outside of your life and all of these other areas. That's, that's the plan. That's what all of this means. We talk about the Missio Dei, is this idea of God unfolding his plan for humanity through humanity. But now let me talk about what gets lost, because I think that um, we need to stop and acknowledge this moment. This is really beautiful, but this is also really troubling, and it's probably troubling to you for the same reason that it's troubling to me. It's that God chooses humanity, right? And I don't know if you want to look at the person next to you and call them out right now, but humanity is broken, right? God's plan is interwoven with humanity, but humanity can often be the problem with God's plan, um, we, we see this through the history of Israel in the Old Testament. There is this pattern where Israel, if you've ever read the Old Testament, if you're familiar with the Bible, there is this pattern in, in their experience. There's actually words that we hear the Pharisees speak in the New Testament, and we actually see this in the, in the existence of the church for the past couple thousand years. There is this history of us messing up the mission of God. The, the problem is this. Time and time again, from the very beginning, we become inward focused. That's what we see with Israel. Um, by the way, that's a really nice way of saying we get self-centered. I just think inward focused uh, just seems a little easier to overcome than someone calling you self-centered. But that's our tendency. See, it, both as individuals and as groups, we have a tendency to turn our attention back towards ourselves and away from the mission of God and the people that he wants to bless. We make it about us. Uh, that happens so many times with Israel. Over and over and over again, Israel would lose the plot. In fact, years after Abraham had passed on, the people of Israel would develop this pattern of just losing sight of their calling, why they existed on the planet. This whole bless the nations thing was lost on them. They were supposed to be a city on a hill. They were supposed to be a light for other nations to see. Others were supposed to meet God through them, and yet they would completely disband any thinking that aligned with God's mission. So they'd lose the plot. And time and time again, when they lose the plot, God would disrupt their history to get them back on track. In fact, one of the most dramatic examples and one of my favorite examples of this is when um, they encounter something called the Babylonian captivity. Um, the year is 587 B.C. and Jerusalem has fallen and its people have been, become exiles in the beautiful, brutal city of Babylon. They have been carried away to the city of Babylon. Um, the Babylonians, they had a philosophy when they were conquering the world that was very different than other countries or other cultures. Most cultures, they either killed their enemies 
or they enslaved their enemies, but the Babylonians, they assimilated their enemies. Their whole idea was this. If we can take the educated and the elite of these people that we've just conquered and we can get them to move to our biggest city, our most influential city, and we can get them to eat our food and drink our wine and enjoy our custom, customs and have our luxuries, then eventually they'll become so enamored with Babylonian culture that it won't take a generation or two and they won't identify as the people of Israel. They'll identify as Babylonians. That was the way they thought. We'll just kind of get you wrapped up in our culture, and then you'll sort of lose your identity. You might still say, hey, we're from Israel, but you're really Babylonian. That's what, that's what their methodology was. And that's what happens to the ancient Hebrews. Now, they realize this, and they face a dilemma. In fact, they, they understand if we move into the city of Babylon, if we move into this place, if we make this our home, then we will become as the Babylonians desire. We will lose our spiritual identity. We will no longer be God's people. And so there are prophets, referred to later as false prophets, but there are false prophets of Israel that as a result of this, they say, we can't do this. We need to stay outside the city. We need to build a little shanty town out here. We need to make sure that we don't engage the city's culture. We need to make sure that we use the city, that we work there, that we maybe get resources from there, but then we come back to here and we live our own lives, stay separated from the culture. So you can use it, but stay separate from it because you don't want to become a part of it. Because if we become a part of it, we'll lose our identity. And so they think the only way they can preserve their identity as the people of God is to stay outside the city. Don't engage this. This is where God does one of the most profound things that we read about in the Old Testament. God moves in this. And he moves in such a dynamic way that I think it brings clarity to what we do. Through the prophet Jeremiah... God gives Israel a wake-up call. So if you have a Bible, I want you to flip over to, to Jeremiah chapter 29. And let me be really clear as we get into this, that God does not want them to lose their identity as his people. In fact, this process is a process in which they are reclaiming their identity as God's people. And God is actually about to show them, if you're my people, then this is how you live. He doesn't want them to stay outside the city. He wants them to be a part of his mission in the world. He wants them to engage the culture and at the same time retain their spiritual identity. I want you to move into this space, but I don't want you to be changed by it. I want you to change it around you. So read this with me. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Let me just stop right there. Did you catch what he just said? The Babylonians didn't carry the people of Israel into exile. The moment they would have heard this, they would have said, wait, God, you did what? <laughs> we were really comfortable back home. You carried us here. You brought us here. God says, I carried you into exile. I sent you to the place I sent you. Do you realize that sent is the language of mission? I'm sending you the way I would send someone on a mission, the missio day being lived out in this moment. By the way, this had to be so incredibly disorienting for the people of Israel because these people, they had forgotten about their purpose as the people of God. They'd forgotten that they were there to bless all the nations. And so they were living this life of comfort that was self-oriented. And now suddenly God says, I brought you to this place and I know you're really uncomfortable, but this is my plan for you. I put you here on purpose. And then he says this in verse 5. He says, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. 
marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. This is another way of God saying, welcome to your new home. You're going to plant a garden and you're going to build a house and you're going to have grandkids in this place. You're going to be here for a while. This is your new reality. This is where you live as my people. I brought you to Babylon. Babylon's your new home. So you better get comfortable. And then one of my favorite verses in the Bible is in Jeremiah 29, but it's not verse 11. It's verse 7. Verse 7, he says, also... Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too shall prosper. There's two things you can't miss here. First, Jeremiah uses a word that we looked at last week, and it's, 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 he says, seek the peace of the city to which I have carried you. But in Hebrew, he says, seek the shalom of the city. Seek the shalom of the city. Shalom means wholeness. Shalom means completeness. Shalom means goodness. Shalom means soundness. Shalom means human flourishing at every point and on every level. Shalom is when everything is the way it's intended to be. God says, seek the shalom of the city. Move in. Build homes, plant gardens, and seek the shalom of this place to which I have carried you. Seek the shalom of the city. Maybe you've heard me make reference to this or you've picked up on this idea that we as a church are for the city. If you go on our website these days, you'll see that. The reason it's there is that it's wholly based upon what we see God saying to his people in Jeremiah chapter 29. We are for the city to which we have been carried. In fact, we, we have to see this. Th- this is so critical. We have to see that your prosperity, this is what's being revealed here, your prosperity or your own personal shalom is connected to the activity you engage in in the place that you live. There's a connection. That's what's being revealed by Jeremiah. There's a connection between the shalom you experience and the shalom you work for on behalf of others. Like if you want to experience wholeness, if you want to experience shalom, what leads you to that place personally is not pursuing it for yourself, but it's pursuing it for others, even those that don't believe as you believe. It's unbelievable, but it's what it says. In fact, um, I'm, I'm just seeing God calling them to serve this city, to be for this city, and I'm hard pressed to find any point where God ever tells his people to, um, to move to a place where everybody agrees with them. I've heard some of that in some jokes recently, but I'm really hard pressed to see that in alignment with the Missio Day, where we just move to some place where everyone thinks and believes the way we do. I don't see God creating communes of like-minded people. I see him sending change agents into cities through communities of grace. That's what I see God doing over and over, including the wicked city of Babylon. I'm afraid sometimes that we, and I'm not talking about this specific church, but just the church in America, that we've turned the church into a fortress when we are called to be a force. That's what gets lost time and time and again, generation after generation. 
that's what happens with the people of God. By the way, um, this is a bit of a side note before I get to my last point. This connection between serving others and our personal shalom. You know that we live in a culture where sacrificial service and seeking the good of others is, has been lost. We live in a culture that's so selfish. We live in a culture that is so focused on getting what we want. We've lost sight of, of serving other people sacrificially. Um, in fact, we might live in the most self-centered culture in history. Is it any wonder that right now there are all-time record highs of depression and anxiety and suicide in our world? I mean, could it be that when we make ourselves the focus, it doesn't work? I mean, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, if anyone wishes to save their life, they will lose it. If you try to grasp your life, if you try to take hold of your life, if you make your life and your prosperity the focus, Jesus says, you're going to lose it. But he says, anyone who gives up his life for my sake and the gospel will find their life. That's a principle that's repeated from Jeremiah to the words of Jesus over and over again, this idea that we are called. So one of the things I'll say, anytime someone comes to me and they say, I'm just in a bad place and life's not going well and I just can't figure things out and I feel really depressed, like I'm sliding down. One of the first questions I will ask people is this, can you point to any place in, in your life where you're serving someone other than yourself? Is there any place, is there any place where you're just, you're seeking the good of somebody and you don't benefit from it? You just know I'm doing the right thing for that person because I need to. Is there a place where you're seeking shalom on behalf of others? Jeremiah 29 is looking at God's people and saying, move in and build homes and plant gardens and seek the shalom of the city. That's what it means to go beyond. To go beyond. That leaves us with my final point. We've talked about what this means. We talk about what gets lost. Now, let's talk about what this takes. I want to turn our attention back to Abraham. And I want to acknowledge what you're probably already feeling. This isn't easy, is it? This might be kind of hard. It might be kind of uncomfortable to live this sort of thing out. I mean, the people of Israel, they're on the outskirts of Babylon going, are you kidding? You, imagine how nervous they were. When God says, move into this crazy, wicked city and seek its peace, there had to be so much, you couldn't count the butterflies in people's stomachs in that moment, right? It, could, it couldn't get more complicated. But Abraham shows us the way in this. I want you to turn to Hebrews. In the New Testament, there's a book called Hebrews, written to the Hebrews. They're transitioning from a Jewish reality to a, a Christian reality, and so they're, they're learning. And, and in chapter 11, Abraham shows up again, and when he does, he shows us what this, what, what this takes. How do we do this? How do you and I, how do we as a church live this way? Verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I just point out, I just, can I point out a few things in this one before we close tonight? Nod, nod at me if you, if you want me to point out a couple more things. Like, and then maybe the rest of you too. <laughs> um, First it says this, Abraham obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. He said yes to living a God-led life even when he didn't know where God was going to lead him. 
That's a really basic principle of how to live in this way. I think it's a critical starting point for us to, to learn from Abraham in this regard. Because if it was me, if it's me and someone tells me to go somewhere, I go into research mode, right? I mean, I open up Google and I start researching. So what are the flights? Should I drive? Should I fly? Should I take a train? When I get there, what city am I going to? Where are the hotels? What's the fun stuff to do? I would want to know everything about the destination. God, where are you taking me in this moment? I want to have the details and I want to know what to expect and I want to have a plan. I want to have an itinerary, ask my family down to the hour of what we're doing. That's what I would be doing. C can you imagine God saying to you, you know what, tonight I want you to go to PDX and I want you to look up at the reader board and the third city you see down on the reader board, buy a ticket, get on the plane and go. No hotel, no car reservation, no idea what's there. Maybe you don't even know anybody in that city. Can you imagine doing that? God told Abraham to start walking <laughs> and he did. Walk. Okay. He did it. And that reveals something really critical that we need to hold in our hearts. It is normal to be certain about God and uncertain about your circumstances. And I think that's a message we really need to hear right now in 2020. Amen? It is normal to be certain about God and uncertain about your circumstances. Certainty about God and certainty about life are two very different things, but so often we confuse those two things. In fact, we oftentimes even expect God to speak through the certainty of circumstances. Like, God, unless you make these circumstances certain for me, I don't know that it's you. So you better make sure it's clear that I have a predictable plan. That's not what we see here. That's not what we see anywhere. The reality is that when you start living out the mission of God in your life, you're going to find yourself in some uncertain circumstances. But you can be certain of God no matter the circumstances. Are you with me? Babylon was not where Israel expected to be as a nation. But it's exactly where God had them. This, this reminds me of just the past several months for me. I... Um, but those of you that maybe you're new to B4, I've been living here a year, and uh, what a year it's been, right? Uh, it's a great first year, and uh, I've had a lot of people call me from other states, other places, and they will say, are you okay? Has anybody else had this happen to you? Somebody, you got family members that don't live in Portland or, or near Portland or within 100 miles of Portland, and so they call you and they say, are you okay? Are you guys okay? Is your house burning down? Are you, Right? Is, are there riots in your neighborhood or, you know, and so I, I've been getting these phone calls. I've got a lot of them and, or text message. Some of you are watching right now. I'm sorry. I know you're watching. I'm talking to some of you watching right now too because you're watching from some other state. Um, but when they ask for it, the first thing I have to explain is it's not as bad as it appears on TV, <laughs> first of all, right? Just like there's nothing that ever appeared on TV that matches reality. I think that's a general truth anywhere, fiction or nonfiction, so I tell them that. But then secondly, I tell them it doesn't really matter how things are because I know that God has me for a reason in this place. I'm certain of that. If there's one thing I'm certain of in 2020, it's that I'm supposed to be living in the house I'm living in and pastoring the church I'm supposed to be pastoring, working with the staff and the congregation that I'm supposed to be working with. I know that beyond the shadow of a doubt. And so it doesn't matter how unruly our city gets. It doesn't matter. I mean, are there times I thought, great, Really great timing, Portland, to act up. Like I could have enjoyed maybe a few dinners out before this whole thing went crazy with my wife. But, you know, I, I've thought those kinds of things, but, but I'm certain. There's a certainty no matter how uncertain things get. I'm not certain of a whole lot else, but I am certain that God is with us in these moments. 
So what does that do? What does that do to me? I'll tell you what it does to me, and I think it's what it does to everybody who becomes certain of God in uncertain moments. It frees me to live a certain way in this. It frees me up. I don't need to know the circumstances. I just know that God's here with me. And, and, and I get to live in uncertain times with this confidence because I know that God's put me here. Which, which I hope means that as I move into this next space, as I move into this next conversation, as I move into this next complicated scenario, that I can live with this peace and be the kind of person that brings hope and life to the situation. That I bring calm and joy to whatever's taking place. The same thing can be true of every one of us. Every one of us have the opportunity when we are certain of God to be people of peace and joy and hope and love in the middle of uncertainty. Let's get back to Abraham. He shows us something else. Um, remember those exiles in Babylon? Uh, it turns out they weren't the first ones to live as strangers in a strange land. Look at verse 9 of Hebrews 11. It says about Abraham, By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. That's a really strange sentence, isn't it? Isn't it strange to consider that God sent Abraham to a place that he called the promised land? But when he got to the place of promise, when he got to the place that God had told him about, he would live in that place as a stranger in a foreign land? We don't ever think that way. We think that when Abraham showed up, I mean, our natural thinking is if God has promised you something, when Abraham crossed the threshold of the land of promise, that somebody handed him the keys to the city and said, have fun, man, this place is yours. But that's not what happened. He lived as a foreigner. He lived as a stranger. And the template for learning how we live a life of beyond is found right here. We have this natural desire to own the place that we live or to be in control. We want to be in charge. That's the way we just naturally default as human beings. We want power and we want to control. But over and over again, the people of God are strangers. They're exiles. They're foreigners. And this is what I see as ironic, that over and over again, we do our best work when we're in those positions. That the church is often its most beautiful when we're exiles, when we're foreigners, when we're strangers, when we're not getting our way. And we actually seem to do our worst and be on our worst behavior when the script gets flipped and we have power. Abraham lived like a stranger. So, so when folks wonder, and they have wondered, and maybe this answers a question for some of you, when folks wonder why I don't get more worked up about things in our nation, it comes back to this. I love this country. I love this country. But I'm a stranger here. I'm an exile in this country, called to seek the peace and the prosperity of the place to which I have been carried. That's what the gospel does to us. Jesus' primary mission on earth was not to change the social order. Let me just make this very clear. Jesus came to rescue us out of our brokenness and offer us the freedom of forgiveness. But when that happens to us, when that takes place in us, it creates a people who in any place they reside, in any place they work, in any place they play, in any place they eat dinner, in any place they do life, it creates a people who will have a transforming 
influence. The places that we live and do our life become different because we're there. And at the core of our being, we have been changed by this thing called the gospel. Through us, the nations will be blessed. So as a church, what do we do? As a church, we want people to behold Jesus for who he really is. As a church, we want to create a place where people can belong and be a church where people know they belong to something that's even bigger than this church, but a new humanity. We want to be the kind of church that, that, that presses in for transformation, that we would be the kind of people that we were created to be from the very beginning. And we want to be the kind of church that goes beyond, not just as an organization loving our neighbors, but as individuals that we see ourselves gathering and then scattering to the places of influence that God has carried us to and influencing lives for the sake of Jesus' name. And by the way, when you say yes to Jesus, that's what you say yes to. If you've wondered about who Jesus is, if you've been exploring thoughts of becoming a Jesus follower, this larger picture is what Jesus is inviting you into. And it is life-consuming, and it is beautiful, and it is wonderful. Amen? And so if you haven't said yes to Jesus, tonight might be a really great night to say yes to Jesus and to begin that journey with him. Now, would you guys stand with me? We're going to do something a little bit different tonight as we close, and in just a moment, I'm going to offer the benediction. Um, but before we do that, would you join me and let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. May you see you in the place that you are as if God has carried you there. May you be bold enough to realize that you have a purpose for being in this place. And may you be the kind of man or woman who brings shalom to the places you work and play and laugh and eat. May you seek the peace of the city to which God has carried you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please feel free to linger this evening if, uh, if you want to pray with somebody. We have elders in the room. They have orange lanyards. If you've got questions, you want to talk to them, pray with them, they'll be hanging out. They're awesome people. And uh, you guys, we just are so grateful that you're here tonight with us. Please be sure to register again for next week. I know some of you are becoming Thursday night regulars. If you're a Thursday night regular, raise your hand up. I love it. I love it. I think I am too. Uh, we love seeing you guys here. Have a great evening, and we'll see you guys next Thursday or on Sunday. See you later.